that brings all things gruesome and historical to the comfort of your own home or car or wherever it is you're listening from. My name is Hannah Purdyman, and I'm here with my father, Kevin Purdyman, to discuss some of the most famous and infamous murders that took place in the medieval and early modern periods. Medieval Murder came to be first as a blog, then as an Instagram, and now as a podcast after I finished my master's dissertation on homicide in early medieval England. The podcast will feature some of the most famous murders in medieval history, some mini-episode series on different types of medieval murders, and interviews with historians and history enthusiasts alike. Apologies for the long wait between podcast episodes. I started a Master's of Library and Information Science and have been busy with my full-time job as well, but we have a packed schedule for the next several weeks. Today, we'll be talking about the Pazzi Conspiracy in Florence, Italy. Now, what are you over there drinking, Dad? I have a little wine today, a little, uh, little Italian wine. Yeah, I got some, got some Italian wine over here as well, so let's see what we got going on. Now this one's pretty complicated, so I'm going to give a lot of background information, but it will become relevant later. The Medici family in Florence was the premier banking family in Italy, having created their banking empire for over a century, and the family held most of the power in northern Italy. The Pazzi family was another banking family in northern Italy, but one with much less power and influence. So I like to visualize stuff. So are we talking like northern Italy, the Alps area, or what are we talking about? No, we're talking about Florence, so kind of more the Tuscany. Okay, so they're, they're a banking family, so they're one of the first banks? How did, I mean, did they chase Manhattan? Or? So, so I don't know for sure, but I know that they were amassing wealth during this time, they were a very powerful family. They were amassing wealth, and they became, began lending out this money. Um, and so that's kind of how it was, that they were kind of, you know, had amassed this wealth, were loaning it, loaning it out for an interest. Okay. All right. So maybe unsanctioned loan sharks, or there's probably no banking regulations then. I can't guarantee that. There may have been, but I think there was a loan sharky vibe to it, for okay. sure. And the Medici family bank was actually what um, was loaning money to the papacy. Oh, okay. So the, the Pazzis were started after or just weren't as successful? They started after. They started at the beginning of the 15th century, so in the 1400s. Um, but they were starting on a much smaller scale. And they didn't have as much power and influence because of their standing. Oh, gotcha. Now, did now I don't know if you know this or you looked into it. Are are these families still involved in banking in Italy today? That's a good question. I'm not sure if they are. Um, that'd be something really interesting to look into. I don't know into. if they stood the test of time, or I don't know. Be be interesting. Yeah. So there were several instances where there was tension between the Pazzi family and the Medicis over the years. Most notably, Lorenzo de' Medici, at the time the head of the Medici family, began to mock the Pazzis and tried to furtively stop them from maintaining any high political office, um, anything higher than they already had. 
So Pope Sixtus IV was related to the Pazzi family and in 1473 began to look upon them fondly and give them preference over the Medicis, um, using them for loans instead of the Medici bank. Um, and so this formed the foundation of the Pazzi conspiracy. Okay, so the Medicis had actually been loaning money to the, the papacy, and then the Pazzi's mm -hmm. were actually kind of related, and then they, he started to give them preference. Yes, and so that all started about 1473. And what kind of political offices did they hold? Um, so within northern Italy, I'm not sure if it stretched to all of Italy because um, there was a king of Italy at that time. But within the Florence region, within the Florence region, um, there was it was a republic. And so there was a nine-man republic. And so it was a council of nine men who would make these powerful decisions. Um, but at the time, so once, um, so when Lorenzo de Medici's father died, he was only 20. Um, but be, he became the leader of the family and the head of the Medici bank. Um, and at that time, he decided he was going to influence even more of society. And he became the man to come to if you wanted to arrange a marriage for your daughter. Oh, and so he was arranging all these political marriages within Florence, within um, northern Italy. And so that's how he had even more power. Because if it wasn't looked upon well by the Medicis, you should not get married. Oh, wow. And that would influence whether they would loan you money, where, whether you would be favored. Because they also had quite a large army behind them. They had a lot of support because they were loved by the people of Florence to a certain extent. Yeah. Was this love because they were rich and famous, or, or were they actually, or um, did they actually do good things for the community? I think a little bit of both. I think the love for them was that they protected the people of Florence from foreigners, because at that time there was a very big anti-foreigner rhetoric, um, kind of similar to today, okay. and so the Medici's um, kept them safe. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, two years before the Pazzi conspiracy in Florence, in December of 1476, the Duke of Milan, Galeoza Maria Sforza, was assassinated the day after Christmas, just before High Mass. Sforza was known to be a cruel man. A young priest had once predicted he would have a short reign as the Duke of Milan, and in response, Sforza ordered him to be starved to death for, for just his foresight. He had punished many men for small indiscretions and even for jealousy, having their hands chopped off or even having one man nailed into his coffin and buried alive. Whoa. So he was a very cruel man. And he was the Duke of Milan. And that's yes. pretty close to Florence? Um, more north, but okay. close. Just trying to get my bearings here. On the day of the assassination, Giovanni Andrea Lampagnani, Girolamo... Oligiati and Carlo Visconti gathered around the point of innocence, a stone that was supposedly stained with the blood of the innocents in the Santa Stefana Cathedral. Each of the men was wearing armor underneath their clothes in preparation of their attack. When Sephora reached that part of the church as he walked to a seat for the high mass, the three men knelt before him. Suddenly, Giovanni lunged to his feet and stabbed Sforza through the groin and then breast. 
The two other assassins then leapt up and struck him with their daggers on the chest, back, throat, shoulders, and forehead. So what prompted this drastic move? Were, do we know, were these guys taking the action on their own? Is there someone behind this? They were taking the action on their own. Um, he had swindled them out of some money. He was a cruel tyrant. He was just killing people willy-nilly, and they had had enough. Okay, so did, so I take it just by the, the amount of stab wounds that he probably succumbed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, he died. And so once they realized what had happened, the other churchgoers rushed out of the doors, fearing that they too would be murdered. Two of Sforza's guards were trampled to death in the pandemonium. The first assassin to have stabbed Sforza, Giovanni, attempted to escape, but he had a severe limp, and he was a much older man to be doing this. Um, And he got tangled into a flow of cloth from a lady's gown and fell to the ground. Sforza's guards caught up with him there and killed him. The other two assassins were lucky enough to escape. So after the turmoil subsided, a group of boys seized Giovanni's body and a, a show of disgust for his portrayal of their duke because some people loved the duke, some people hated the duke. And so now that he was dead, um, they seized Giovanni's body and dragged it through the streets where crowds of people pelted it with stones and slashed it with knives. Giovanni's body was then taken to his house and hung upside down outside of the most prominent window. Several days later, his body was eventually fed to the pigs. Okay. So they, they really hated that he had just up and assassinated. And so the Duke, the Duke had some on. serious supporters there. He, he had some, but these were also young boys um, who, you know, there was not a lot to do. Public hangings were something you went to. Like, the violence was... Yeah, I kind of... Prominent. I, I kind of find it interesting as we talk through all of this stuff today. I mean... Um, you know, they they kind of did the same thing to Mussolini after they killed mm-hmm. him. And then, you know, later on, we're going to see some stuff go on. And I'm like, I'll, I'll talk about that towards the end. But it's, it's really interesting to see how this stuff in the 1400s kind of, I don't want to say it's a cultural thing or society thing. It just kind of continues to permeate down through the centuries, that type of activity, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the day after the assassination, Giovanni's servant, Franzone, was tortured and forced to name the other assassins and all of their conspirators. The two other assassins, Visconti and Oligiotti, as well as the servant Franzoni, were then executed on January 2nd, 1477. They were tied to the breaking wheel, and while still alive, were torn in half from groin to neck. Eight other men who were friends of the assassins and were at the assassination, but who were not necessarily conspirators, were also executed. Anyone else who was found to be a conspirator was executed. Their families had their lands taken, and their widows were even forced into convents. So, the assassination of the Duke of Milan supposedly gave the Pazzi conspiracists the idea to snatch the power away from the Medicis by murdering Lorenzo de' Medici and his younger brother and heir, Giuliano. So, other than giving the idea to the Pazzis, were the were the Pazzis or Medici's involved in this first assassination at all? Mm-mm, not at all. Okay. 
No. So now we go to the morning of the Posse Conspiracy. So on the early morning of Sunday, April 26, 1478, secretly armed men were scattered throughout Florence preparing to overthrow the nine-man council at the head of the Florentine Republic, a republic many saw as well on its way to tyranny. The attack was originally planned to take place in Rome, but Lorenzo de' Medici did not make his normal, normally scheduled Easter trip as his brother Giuliano fell ill. Uh, okay, mm -hmm. so it sounds like um, we had talked a little bit earlier about how he was the nine-man council and he was instrumental in arranging marriages, loaning money, mm -hmm. kind of running the whole show up there. And now, now this yeah. group that thinks He's becoming a little bit of a tyrant. Okay. okay. So, on that day, Lorenzo de' Medici and his brother arrived at the Duomo of Florence and were accompanied by their proxy visitors, including the Archbishop and Messer Jacopo de Pazzi, as well as the Cardinal of San Giorgio, as an emissary of the Pope. Then Mass began. Okay, so we've got the Medici's arriving at the Duomo of Florence. And the Archbishop is a Pazzi. Is he related to the Pazzi conspirators? He is. And he is related to the um, Pope. Okay. And then you've, you've actually been to the Domo in Florence. Mm -hmm. So when you were there, could you picture what we're about to talk about? I mean, yeah, I mean, when we talk about it, can you picture it? happening in there? I could picture it happening in there and I could picture so as we're about to see there's a bunch of turmoil obviously once all this happens um and I think it would take quite a while to figure out what was going on I think there would be a lot of screaming there would be a lot of rushing around and I think a lot of the churchgoers would have no idea why but they would be trying to escape. So is the Domo a pretty big church? I mean... Oh, it's huge. Okay. It's huge. It's, it's central in Florence. It's very intricate, and it's giant. Okay. Yeah. So at some signal during the High Mass, Bernardo Bandini Baroncelli and Francesco de Pazzi stabbed Giuliano through the chest. After 19 knife blows, he fell to the ground dead. Two priests with concealed weapons had been following closely behind Lorenzo and at the signal grabbed him from behind and attempted to stab him. However, he only received a small cut on the neck as he escaped from them and fought them off with a sword. Pandemonium erupted as everyone tried to escape from the violence of the Duomo. The attackers escaped, having only succeeded in killing one of the Medici brothers. Lorenzo and his companions locked themselves into the Duomo's sacristy waiting to see if another attack would be launched. Okay, so I, I'm seeing like two priests getting involved here, but I'm thinking we've got something going on because they work for the Archbishop, which is a posse. Yes, okay. and so they work for the Archbishop, and we'll find out later who's really pulling all the strings, getting the priests involved. Okay. So eventually, allies of the Medicis arrived, armed for battle, and escorted the survivors to the Medici Palace. The Pazzi led a troop of 100 men into the government square in an attempt to incite the Florentine citizens to rise up against the remaining Medicis, 
shouting people and liberty. Instead, only foreigners joined in the attempted coup, and most of Florence's citizens either waited for an outcome or defended the Medici Palace. So he got, he got the Pazzi showing up with like 100 guys, and mm-hmm. they're trying to incite other Florentine citizens to help them. Do you have any idea about how many people were living in Florence at the time? I'm just trying to get an idea of, you know, like if I went to where I live with 100 people, probably wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be that big a deal. So, I mean, it was a very large city, but the difference is having a hundred armed men is very different than having just a hundred people. So it's a hundred armed men, most likely on horseback, um, inciting a riot after one of the sons, one of the brothers of the Medici family, one of the most powerful family in Florence, has been murdered in a church. Okay. Which not only is terrible, but is sacrilegious. Oh, okay. I'm getting a better picture of kind of the cultural vibe at the time and, you know, how it'd be like that. Yeah, because this is not too far. I mean, it's at the time several days rides away from Rome on a horse. But, I mean, it's very close to the papacy. Yeah. So, only two men died in the attack, Giuliano de' Medici and Francesco Nori. By the afternoon of that same day, the Medicis and their supporters were seeking revenge. Anyone who was found to be involved in the plot was swiftly killed or tortured and then thrown out of high windows into the government square below. So, the body... Real real quick, I've never been there, but is the government square... Is the Domo on the government square there? No, so they had to make their way to the Medici Palace. Okay. Yeah. And that was the Medici Palace was government square. I'm assuming so. Um, I don't know that for sure. So they might just be in a government building okay. throwing people out of windows. Um I don't actually okay. know. Yeah. Um, So, the bodies of the traitors were stripped naked by the citizens and chopped into bits. Those those that had fallen to to the ground. Um, So, Brecolini, the first one to stab Giuliano, was found and hung by his neck out of a window and left to hang for all to see. Francesco de Pazzi was also found, though he was completely naked with no explanation, and was also hanged. That day, up to 80 conspirators or supporters were executed. Over the next four days, all of the Pazzi men were arrested and imprisoned and eventually exiled from Italy. All of the family's land and wealth was also confiscated. Now, what's really important to note here is all of these people were executed within the government square. And that is not where sanctioned executions took place. This was without legal precedent. And so normally there would have been a trial. Um, then they would have had a formal execution. This, all legal proceedings were waived, and they just were going to be violent and take revenge in the government square in the middle of town. So it's kind of like martial law, or just things just got kind of like a little war going on. 
uh, in Yeah, and they wanted to make a show. Yeah, they wanted to make a show of power and be like, you know what? We can do this to the Potsy family because they did this to us. Well, yeah. so it's about power and money. Yes, always about power and money. So the Potsy conspiracy was actually planned by three men. Pope Sixtus IV, Girolamo Riario, and the Archbishop of Pisa, Francesco Salviati. The Archbishop of Pisa was killed in the bloody Sunday of the attack, while the other two survived, having not been in Florence at all. In reaction to the Archbishop's execution, Pope Sixtus IV excommunicated Lorenzo de' Medici from the Catholic Church. He also forbid mass and communion within Florence. Lorenzo then sailed to Naples and put himself in the hands of the king, remaining in his custody for three months to show good behavior. Um, and Lorenzo convinced King Ferdinand I to support Lorenzo's attempts at brokering peace with Pope Sixtus IV. So, because I, th- I think they knew they couldn't just kill the Pope. Right. So it's evident that the Pope, or at least at the Archbishop level, but the Pope too, was had it in for the Medici family. Do we, do we yes. know why? I think they had too much power. Oh, they, were... they had too much power. They had too much wealth. I mean, they had enough wealth to lend to the papacy. I think the Pope was worried. And also, at one point, Lorenzo was very upset at the Pope because instead of picking someone to be a cardinal from the Medici family, he picked from the Pazzi family. And so Lorenzo and the Medici were trying to influence Catholic policy, Catholic tradition. Okay, so, so it is definitely about money and power, power of the church, power of the Medicis, mm-hmm. and trying to retain your, I guess, turf, or retain your yeah. standing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only remaining conspirator to be handled was Girolamo Riario. Count Girolamo Riario was the Lord of Imola and Forli, and was a nephew of the late Pope Sixtus IV. So, at this point, he has died. Okay, so Pope Sixtus died, more or less natural causes that we know. Yes. Um, So, ten years after the attack, in April 1488, two brothers from the Orsi family, as well as two of his captains, fell out with him in a heated quarrel over money, and the four decided to kill him. Um, And also, so they decided to kill him, and then they justified it as revenge for the Medicis. Got it, okay. To make it okay. So, they went to Girolamo's palace just after dinner on Monday, the 14th of April, 1488, and found him in his ornate hall of nymphs. Um, One of the two men who had entered greeted Riario with the thrust of a short sword. Riario cried out and rushed to scurry under a table in order to protect himself. The two other men burst into the hall to help finish him off. So, how did he evade the retribution for so many years? We were talking ten years later. I don't know, actually. I don't know if it's because he went to Emelo and Forley, and that's where, I mean, that was his turf. So I wonder if they just didn't want to create a full war. I don't know if maybe because they had made peace with Pope Sixtus, um, that was one of the stipulations. Yeah, I'm also wondering if it's just, like you said earlier, they just used it as an excuse to kill him because of the other stuff. And just said it was I th- retribution. I think it was. I think it was. Um, 
And I think in a later episode, we will examine the retribution of his wife, um, because his wife really takes a turn, um, Girolamo's wife, and really gets it later. She she goes for it. Okay. I'm looking forward yeah, she, to that. She then. exacts revenge on the Orsi brothers, and that's... Oh. As a whole other aspect. So this is a this is a feud that went on for a long time then. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I can't wait to hear the rest of this story. Yeah, and so that was the end of the Poxy conspiracy. Um, so that's a lot of revenge or vengeance, a lot of death in the episode. People getting thrown out of windows. Yeah, lots of murder happening. You know, all to retain power and money. You mm-hmm. know, I mean. You know, we kind of talked about, you know, what they had done to Mussolini at the end of the war when they finally turned on him and killed him, you know, but, I mean, this, this vengeance sounds very similar to the Italian or the Sicilian Mafia, and, I mean, they, they still have a lot of problems today. I mean, we've got our own problems in this country, but, you know, it, it's interesting how over the years it's, kind of continued on in that type of um, honor, honor code. You know, yes. you know, when you were talking earlier about uh, Lorenzo arranging marriages and doing that stuff, almost kind of like a, the godfather. I don't know. I mean, I could be mm-hmm. totally wrong here. Yeah. And, well, and it's kind of a cultural thing. I yeah. Think. Interesting. That's a good episode. I, I, I've learned a lot. Thank you for listening to Medieval Murder. If you have any listener questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please feel free to reach out via our Twitter account at Murder Medieval, our Instagram account at Medieval Murder, or via email at info.medievalmurder at gmail.com. If you, any of you are interested in rocking some Medieval Murder merchandise, take a look at our website, medievalmurder.org. Tune in in two weeks for our next podcast.